So are we going to talk about this article which was published in Fertility and Sterility on, I think, in January 2013? This is interesting, isn't it? Like this article's now um, a case control study, seven years old, um, published in a legitimate fertility journal. Well, it's published in the American Society for Reproductive Medicine. This is no no small journal by any means. This is not a um, fringe, weirdo, you know, it's a proper legit journal. Seven years, six, seven years ago, case control study, 300 women who hadn't had babies before, three groups, uh, 100 women had no endometriosis, 100 had peritoneal or ovarian, and 100 had rectosigmoid. And they yep. wanted, and, and the and the title of the study is attractiveness of women with rectovaginal endometriosis: a case control study. And so, so they, so right they had there, these, there is a problem. So they had a, so they had three groups of women, and they had two male and two female physicians assess their attractiveness on a five point attractiveness scale. <laughs> I was quite interested in the exclusion criteria, so it was only Caucasian. Well, I, I was just, I was quite interested in the consent as well. So they, that they knew did not that their physical, they knew that their physical appearance would be assessed, but they weren't specifically told that their attractiveness was being assessed. In case they exhibited, let me quote directly for for you. Um, uh, in case they exhibited, I think it was, you know, untoward sec- overt sexual behaviours. Yeah, I don't really know what um, – I mean, I'm not a gynaecologist like you are, so I don't really know what that means. Um, I think it meant that they, were, that they were concerned that women would flirt and that that would change the attractiveness oh, scale. Shut up. I think that that's I, – no, I genuinely think that that's what that's implied and maybe that's a thing in Italy that that's how you, how you assess attractiveness because I don't know that I've ever heard of attractiveness being assessed before as and part it, of anything and well, why no, that's well, meaningful. You can, well, yeah, you can see, you know, there's a whole psychology thing about attractive people do better in business and in life generally. Yeah, that's yeah, but, but for a first for a pathological <laughs> But it's okay because they excluded, it was only Caucasian women, they excluded anyone who'd had cosmetic or plastic surgery. So I wonder if people had had Botox, if that includes Botox or fillers, that'd be quite interesting. No one with a tattoo and no one with any piercings, which I think is interesting because a lot of women would have, you know, like one ear, you know, one hole in each ear sort of thing. So they must Well, I guess, I guess it would be interesting to know what, how they define piercing. Do they mean, because they've said presence of visible tattoos or piercing, do they mean ear piercing, which would be... Well, I would have thought that meant ear piercing. How do you find... How do you, I'm wondering if they mean a different type of piercing, but who knows? Oh, you mean um, piercing. But, <laughs> or or nipple or no, other yeah, maybe I, it's I mean, how do you how do you find three hundred nulliparous women between the ages of twenty and forty in Italy? Um, no, you know, tattoos, no piercing, no, no cosmetic, no plastic, no ear piercing. Well, I just anyway, I, think, no, when I, I said no visible piercing. I thought it meant no ear piercing because that's a piercing to me, and that's kind of what I wondered. How did they find all these women? Um, 
And then it was interesting, you know, so they've assessed them. So four, four physicians have said, you know, how attractive are you from one to five? And then they came up with the thing that they said, oh, well, if you were, you were more, I think you had more, you had worse disease. It was associated with being more attractive as assessed by these people. And then they were saying, interestingly, the women with rectovaginal lesions were younger at first intercourse. And they said, and I quoted this, could be explained by increased attractiveness and hence higher male sexual demand. So you've got in, you've got bad endometriosis, you're more attractive, and you're more likely to have first intercourse earlier. <laughs> and, uh, I, yeah. I, I think I, I actually am not going to comment on the study terribly much um, because I don't really have anything particularly nice to say about it. Um, uh, but what I would like to talk about is why are we talking about a study that is seven years old today um, in August 2019? And I guess some of the um, – it's related to me a little bit to two of the topics we've spoken about in the past few months, which is one about the episode we did with Laura Duggan on Hippocrates would be on Twitter and the ethics around publication and dissemination of journal um, – uh, and scientific research um, because this has kind of sat there since 2013 um, and the Twitter gynecologist um, Jen Gunter did comment on this seven years ago. So this this was absolutely commented on um, but Jen um, today said on Twitter in response to someone who has been posting about this um, in the past 24 to 48 hours that she was, she admits she wasn't as um, media savvy at the time um, and also while she commented on it, didn't ask for a retraction at the time. And there's a, a number of people who in the past couple of days have suggested that they're going to ask for a retraction. Um, but in a world seven years ago where we didn't have as many people on Twitter and we weren't disseminating information like this on Twitter or Facebook groups because, you know, not as many people were using Facebook in that and groups in that capacity – did this just sit in a journal that not that many people read and not that many people commented on? Um, and is that why so many people now in 2019 are commenting on it? Or is it also in the context of um, when we think back to um, the intubation paper um, um, looking at gender that we it's 2019 and we've had the Me Too movement and we've got – um, a big group of women and men who I think are feeling braver about speaking out. Well, my understanding is think? that this, this journal is quite a prestigious journal and I also understand from the commentary back to sort of six or seven years ago that the authors are very uh, highly esteemed. And then the, I wonder... The, the, the first author is exceptionally well-known, but regardless of how well-known they are, I'm unclear why the editorial board approved this paper in its current form. But don't you think that's medicine? Like if you are highly esteemed, and I mean I, I don't know this person at all, so I don't make, you know, I'm making just general comments, but, you know, highly esteemed people who are heads of units, who attract funding, who have lots of students, et cetera, sometimes they're in that kind of untouchable group. 
And sometimes, sometimes you know, um, in the higher echelons of academia, people all kind of know each other. It's a very small world in those upper echelons. So maybe editors and stuff are sort of are blind to it as well. And I think this comes back to a lot of what we've been saying about what is merit. And I think that this is an issue, though, in terms of, you know, when we're looking at peer-reviewed papers, there's a suggestion, and I can't remember who I read something about this recently, there's a suggestion that if it's in a peer-reviewed journal, it must be good science. But, you know, I think not necessarily. And Andrew Wakefield, Lancet, measles, you know, that's the classic. Yeah, and, and equally last in the past week there's been a paper circulated um, about HPV with significant problems with it, which has um, also got a number of people talking about writing to that particular journal to ask for a retraction because, you know, huge um, concerns with that paper. And so I think that, that, that that's why it made me think about, um, you know, what we were talking with Laura about evidence-based medicine and about also with the agent piece about responsibilities of editorial boards um, and how they shepherd a piece and looking at language in terms of, you know, well, first of all, was it appropriate that they use the word attractiveness in the title? Well, in actual fact, when you look at their methodology, that is actually what they were measuring. It's um, literally, interesting. Literally a pack of physicians were looking at these women. Literally. But attractiveness is in the eye. Oh, you're a three. <laughs> attractiveness is in the eye of the beholder. Are they mm. suggesting that their definition of one to five is the same on, you know, this was in Italy. Would that be the same in Australia? Would that be the same in Asia? Would that be the same in Africa? Um, I, I mean, I'm unclear what the benefit of this study was to then provide health care for women with endometriosis, which is, you know, the question that we should be asking ourselves in terms of why was this study done and what's the application of it? Well, I mean, I think and they're, they're trying to what I'm there's a phenotypic type and to work out who's got more severe disease, I don't know. But don't you think it was interesting, one of the authors in the commentary, um, when issues were raised seven years ago, totally defended the whole paper and said didn't couldn't even possibly understand how anybody could be bothered by this couldn't possibly understand patients with endometriosis might not like it, that what were the implications of those 300 women in the study where they didn't explicitly know they were going to be ranked from one to five? What's the ethics of that? They were really um, very, you know, defended the paper totally, fully. And um, it's interesting yeah, oh, now, think, you know, which was the, the, the that, comment section of that is astounding and it's <laughs> it goes on and on and on and on and I think when I first read this and I saw that it was Italian an Italian paper I thought is it like the Korean situation where there's perhaps a language and cultural issue but when you read all the responses by the author who is the is the responding author clearly English um, language is very fluent and yeah, they're they're defending it to the hilt. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not an English. It's not an English thing. Like, nope. <laughs> no, they really. These are smart people, and they just don't see it. But um, you almost wonder what would be what would be the author's response now, seven years later, if it was brought up again. Would they still Would they still stick to their guns? Would it be different? 
Yeah, and I don't know because I've seen a fair amount of the um, Twitter commentary on this and I haven't seen any response from the journal um, and I haven't seen if there's any response from the author. Um, On the forum, everything is from about six to seven years ago, so it's around the time of the publication. Um, And... You know, I think I think it just raises a lot of questions, really. And as I said, I think this is, you know, because this paper is seven years old. So you know, it, it will. It, you're right. It will be really interesting to hear what the authors have to say about it now. I think the world is a different place, and I think we've seen that and talked about that. That the mm-hmm. that realistically, our world has changed dramatically, even just in the past six months, mm-hmm. um, in response to. Um, many being much more vocal about what is and is not okay. But I guess it's interesting, like you think historically about, you know, medical journals 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 60 years ago. It's kind of, it's always interesting. Do you judge, do you judge papers on now or do you judge papers on the time in which they were written? Because I think the further back you go, I mean, you know, like ethics was not even a thing. You know, I don't know how many years ago we only started ethics. Was it 20 years ago, 30 years ago? Um, you know. Well, I think much of ethics was post-World War II and in response after the Nuremberg trials and some of the um, studies that were done um, by the Nazis. Mm. And then, I mean, I think the New because the New Zealand thing was always, um, you know, the unfortunate experiment. The unfortunate the experiment. cancer in the, oh, geez, was it 90s? 80s. I'm showing my ignorance here, but it's certainly no. Well, evolved. that was 60s and 70s. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know. Look, the unfortunate experiment is an important study. You know, and it's interesting because um, I still talk about that when I teach about HPV and dysplasia and cervical cancer. I think yeah. it's a really important thing to acknowledge what happened, yeah. um, and the same thing around um, also. And, and when we talk about cervical cancer. There are so many points along the way. So the colposcope was invented by Hinselman. Hinselman was um, a Nazi um, and did experiments during World War II on women. Um, and then when we look at the New Zealand study, which uh, predominantly uh, followed Maori and New Zealand women of low socioeconomic groups um, compared to white uh, women of higher affluent groups who were treated. Um, so the um, Maori and lower socioeconomic uh, class women were watched. Um, and that's why we know the natural history of HPV and dysplasia and cervical cancer. And that's now a hugely important thing because that's why we have been able to recognise HPV. It's why a vaccination has been at- uh, a vaccine has been able to be developed and why eventually we will be able to eradicate cervical cancer um, in areas where we have been able to provide vaccine and screening, although there's still a gross discrepancy across the world um, in terms of access to screening and vaccine. And this is really becoming a disease of low and middle income countries. So it's kind of got this weird, in my mind, link back to the experiment. Yeah, I think out of respect yeah. out of respect for the women who died, we need to acknowledge that uh, unfortunate experiment and also to try and prevent things like that happening again. Um, and I'm not for a second, you know, I think, that that's a very different situation yes. to this study. Yes. 
Um, but I think what what in, to go back to your point of, um, you know, do you look at a paper like this in terms of what was happening in the world in 2013 um, or do you comment on what's happening in the world in 2019? Well, I think... I, I think you know because it's interesting you, when you think you about need the to, you need, like the Agent paper came out and there was this immediate response, you know, and the author immediately apologised and then the um, the journal, you know, sort of quietly withdrew the paper sort of a few weeks later. But that was kind of at, at the same time. It's interesting because this is now seven, you know, two thousand and thirteen. In a way, it's kind of been and gone. But I'm not really clear why it's popped up on social media in the last couple of days someone's picked it up and it's come everywhere as though it's a new thing it's quite strange yeah I well I think one of the things that's been interesting is some of the other stuff we've talked about um social media and and this has been in some ways a bit more on Facebook what I've seen in the Facebook groups than on Twitter is that a whole lot of people have kind of read the title and not looked at the date or even read the article. And yeah. so it's already like kind of engendered and triggered a fairly visceral yeah. response from many. Um, and so, so, you know, like the Agent article, I downloaded the article, read the article mm-hmm. and also went looking for the comment sections. And, and whilst, you know, you're right that, that people have had a reaction now, there was a reaction back in 2013, which is why the comment section is so fascinating because there were people who did, who did respond and said, what are you doing? This is distress. This will be distressing. Have you thought about, um, you know, anorexia nervosa and bulimia and um, body dysmorphia Mm -hmm. and um, how women, um, um, are objectified and viewed and mm. why have you done this? So that, And that's why we can comment on the author's responses to that, yeah. um, which are really, really, it's really fa- detailed. It's fascinating, isn't it, actually? And it does remind well, I think it's- that everything you write on a public forum is just there forever and sometimes it might not age particularly well. <laughs> yeah. I know, oh, and... and- and so I don't think I think that people did react at the time, but as I said, you know, I guess that's what I what I was referring to before of like has has the bit that's changed, um, and more the social media mm. access to something. And this is, I guess, what Laura's comment was about. You know, is it unethical not to be on Twitter because if you are trying to disseminate information, you want people to see it. And so how many people saw this paper back in 2013 versus the response we have seen just in the past 24 to 48 hours of a paper from 2013 reappearing. And so STEM Lord, um, who is, um, a scientist um, based in Auckland, New Zealand, where you're from. Um, she's an Australian um, uh, in, in New Zealand, um, has just uh, retweeted the article um, about six hours ago and said, I cannot grasp how this passed any ethics committee, how this was accepted by the journal, all of it should be burnt to the ground. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, that's yeah, that sort of sums up the sentiment, yeah. And, yeah. and, but, um, you know, and, I, and, and she goes on and says, you know, there's nothing, literally nothing scientific about this study. Um, only re- vaguely relevant fact is that, um, to some small extent, um, leanness is correlated with endometriosis, but it's just, it's, it, it, it is just fairly, 
strange to me that it was published at all. Um, I don't, like we said, I don't think that um, just because you're a well-known, esteemed uh, doctor or scientist that that means that you should be getting anything published. Um, but I think it's a bit like if a tree falls in the forest and no one's yeah, there, right. did it happen? That's, and well, so in 2013, yeah, yeah. was this the tree that fell in the forest and no one was paying attention? But in 2019, the tree fell in the forest and all of Twitter is watching. But, yeah, and I think it's like, but the, but the whole thing is, this is where I love investigative journalists to try and find out like, <laughs> why, what has happened for it to pop up in the last couple of days from 2000. Like, what has happened? So Has that, has that author annoyed somebody? Like, what has actually, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Oh, no, no. So why I, I think I tried to go back and find why this, actually. I think there was a particular person that has tweeted about it, um, and I, th- I think, like I said, I think that what has happened is that because we are talking a lot at the moment about gender issues and what is okay and what isn't okay, and in a Me Too, you know, Me Too, um, and Times Up Healthcare, and all sorts of things have happened. I think that this has appeared but I think it's gained such significant traction and interest because of it being 2019. Well, I tell you what's interesting is to see what the journal. But I can't, I I can't find. Yeah. But will the journal respond? Like, does the journal have to respond? Will they respond? Will they just wait for it to die down? Like all Twitter uh, flurries do. Um, so I mean, I don't think they can do. They can't do anything about it. It's a paper from so, you know, so years ago. different to different to, right? Yeah, look, different to AGM, ASRM are actually on. Um, they actually are on Twitter. I'm just going to their Twitter account now to have a look. Interesting. Um, interestingly, no one seems to have Agbum. linked them. Oh. So maybe they've been tagged, but they certainly haven't responded. So this is yeah. super interesting. Let me – I'm just having a look through their entire thread. There's nothing on their thread about it. No. Um, so perhaps no one has tagged them. Um, and I guess that will be what happens, you know, what happens next in terms of – let's wait and see. I think that – what I have seen is that a number of people are going to write letters to the editor and yeah. um, and ask for something to be done. But, yeah, I think that a lot of people are commenting on this article and not necessarily actually responding um, directly to the journal and perhaps they haven't had a think about. Mm. Mm, interesting times. Interesting time. Yeah. Oh, no, so I have just found a thread. So I just had found um, there's someone called Laura in uh, Jano who has tagged them and said, tried searching for some kind of why this matters section. Spoiler alert, there isn't one. Um, so they have been they have been tagged in a couple um, in a couple, but there's no response currently. And I guess we'll just have to wait and yeah, see. Wait and happens. see. Interesting times. Interesting times. Hmm. Okay. I think we've covered that to death. Now.